Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast. We're bringing to you the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of having Will on here. He is the founder over at Better Agency. Thank you so much for being on here today. It's a pleasure having you. And really to start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about, you know, Better Agency and, and a little bit of your background as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. So Better Agency is a CRM marketing automation uh, platform specifically for the insurance industry. Um, we aim to solve, obviously, for CRM, sales management, lead conversion, and then automation tied around the, the lead management as well as renewals and cross-sells and a lot of the intricacies that traditional software doesn't solve for for the insurance industry. So super specific. Yeah. What is the background that you hold, right, to, to where you kind of notice the issues that were happening around the, the insurance agency or insurance uh, specifically that you decided, you know, I'm going to start a software for it? Yeah, sure. So prior to probably 2013, 2014, I have no background in software, technology, marketing, anything. Um, my previous experiences, I, I actually played uh, professional football. I was a tight end for the Eagles and the Steelers. And then in 2014, I got injured and found my way to a local Arizona. I'm in Arizona, a local company called Infusionsoft, um, where I started doing uh, sales and marketing consulting there, learned software. Felt and found my way into the insurance industry where I left and started a consulting business in 2015, um, <clears throat> servicing the insurance industry. And so I spent from 2015 through 2018, really, um, servicing the insurance industry, um, doing marketing, sales consulting, and basically helping their tech stack. Mm -hmm. uh, so putting all the different pieces of the puzzle together. And what I realized was, hey, we're kind of just, you know, there's a lot of different systems out here we're using. We're, there's a lot of um, pain points in terms of, uh, there's a lot of areas and, and points where systems can fail. A lot of different softwares we're using. Price is getting up there too when you start stacking up that much. Right. Um, just a lot of issues. And what I realized is none of the, none of the software is really built specifically for the insurance industry. So we're kind of like, you know, quote unquote, kind of hijacking or, uh, you know, trying to customize a solution to make it as, you know, make it make sense. And uh, there were a lot of issues with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the beginning of this year, beginning of 2019, uh, we sat out the foundation to start building our own, uh, our own software uh, for the insurance industry, starting with the CRM and then adding in some specific components that we're in the process of releasing right now uh, to serve the insurance industry. And that's kind of how we got here. So that's awesome. First of all, and it looks like quite, you know, the journey aside from or the entire thing, right. But, how was the transition from, you know, playing football over to Infusionsoft? Because you didn't necessarily have the background to be an in Infusionsoft, it sounds like. I mean, obviously you got there, but it doesn't sound like that's what you wanted to do initially. No. So, yeah, I, I, when I got out of football, I was really just trying to figure out what, it, what is kind of next. Uh -huh. it, random enough, my wife actually worked at Infusionsoft, uh, and she ran the social marketing team there. And I was like, hey, this could be a good opportunity. You know, I could get you. Basically, my wife got me a job learning the software there. And I kind of like just moved through the ranks of implementing the software, learned the tech stack, and then really got heavily, spent a lot of my time and resources into sales and marketing consulting. That's kind of how I got my start. Very, very cool. How involved is she right now with Better Agency? My wife? Yeah. Uh, really none at all, actually. Nice. Um, so not, not at all, but she is kind of, I do owe a lot of credit to her to at least getting me started at Infusionsoft. 
Totally, right. So like everything happens for a reason, right? And then there's like the sequence of events that kind of put you at the right time at the right moment for something big. Um, and that's awesome. Now, as far as, you know, marketing and stuff like that, which is obviously something that I'll talk about in the podcast, but like, how have you been growing the, the company so far? Like you sound like you obviously had, you know, connections in the insurance space beforehand and you had your clients before that you were helping out on a, a little bit of a different, you know, basis, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, my thoughts are, you know, he created the software, he had the contacts, started talking to those clients about it. They started using it and then kind of goes from there. But what is the, what does it look like a little bit more in detail? Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I do have, I had a lot of goodwill in the industry. Uh, I had previous clients and a lot of connections, a lot of partners that I had already established myself with. And as I started rolling out this idea and getting feedback, it just kind of started spiraling in terms of, okay, people were really interested. This is a big need, you know, let us know when it's ready. And so it made it really easy from the start to, you know, let me go find my, maybe my group of five to 10 people that I want to call my beta users that I'm going to survey, make sure we're solving for the right pain points from the start and kind of essentially give them the application for free as we start rolling out iteration after iteration. We did that for a couple months and had that core group. But to this date, we've really only scratched the surface for what we're doing with marketing. We're not really doing any paid advertising yet. Uh, That's kind of not to get too in depth in our marketing plan, but that is coming um, after a couple of affiliate launches. We did it one, we've done, basically one big affiliate launch. And we, uh, we use that as our, our core um, first group of paying customers. And then we've uh, kind of keep the gates closed and we'll kind of open it up, back up and close it again as we kind of start iterating our onboarding, testing our different onboarding strategies, um, testing our platform, kind of stress testing in terms of adding more users, more contacts, more features, and making sure that you know, we're prepared for the growth that we believe we can achieve. That's awesome. Really, really cool. Now, just to kind of get a little bit of an idea of what went on behind the scenes, right? Like, typically, you see the softwares, and they're all really cool. But there's a lot of work that goes on actually building that. And you mentioned you didn't have really, you know, the, the tech uh, background to do so. So like, where did you go to find? I don't know if it's a co founder or just a team member that helps you build that? Yeah, so I did bring on a co-founder. I brought on a CTO to, that has the dev experience. And then together, we, that, that led us into hiring our development team. Um, and so bringing on our dev team um, and obviously brought on the CTO to help me more on the tech aspect. Very cool. What's been the hardest thing about growing this business? And, and, and really, it's only been around for about a year, right? Well, technically, we started working on it a year. We launched our beta group, our free group, as we started kind of, we, we actually technically started development. Um, you know, we laid the framework, but by the time we hired our developers and started real, what I call, you know, we, we're self-funded, so we bootstrapped this, so we haven't raised funding or anything like that. Um, we could, but just haven't had the need to. We were, you know, in a position where we could self-fund this. We started development. I think in June. Um, so we did it through from basically June 1st, brought on our first few beta users that were actually on the application um, in July, and then started getting our first paid users in um, mid-August to September timeframe, and then did our first actual launch the beginning of the, uh, basically October 1st was the first full price paying customers we started bringing on. We did about a two-week we had it open for about two weeks before we kind of shut it down for a while. We've had a couple people trickle in throughout that time frame, but 
We, uh, we did a, a launch basically to help us get to profitability and stress test our system. And then we'll be doing our next launch probably in the next week or so. That's awesome. For launching, where are you posting about it? As far as like, how are you getting the word out about, you know, we're launching today, like get in before it closes again kind of thing. Yeah. So in, in, in our mark, so we have a couple of marketing channels, uh, most of which we haven't touched with, but our first one we went with was our affiliate channel. Uh, that's generally not the case I would normally go. You usually don't want to, at least in my experience in marketing and whether this is in SaaS or as an agency myself is I don't like to work necessarily with affiliates unless you're, you really already established your sales process. Mm -hmm. A little bit different of a scenario where we had, you know, an opportunity to do it. It made sense to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of what we wanted. We limited the amount of people we brought on. So we dialed in our affiliate channel in terms of creating our assets, our lead capture, um, what our call to action was, which was a 14-day free trial, and then our follow-up system for anybody that didn't register or attend the, the webinar and didn't sign up. But we kind of capped it at, um, you know, we kind of we actually capped signups at 50. So you're bringing up a lot of really good points as far as like marketing goes, and I'm curious is that all things that you kind of picked up at Infusionsoft is it just you going out there and like researching you know what other companies are doing as far as webinars and like putting all those systems in place and stuff like that um and the other thing too is for the affiliate you know network channel whatever you want to call it are those mainly people who you've already had contact with before you know on a more personal basis like is it pretty much word of mouth that you're reaching out to them yeah. So yeah, a couple, yeah, a couple really good questions. So first of all, like just from the marketing standpoint, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been in the marketing realm and doing, you know, whether it was at Infusionsoft or running my own marketing agency before this, I have just spent a lot of time actually working with SaaS, but mostly different types of customers too, uh, mostly in the insurance industry as well. And we had a branch that was custom um, doing custom marketing and sales consulting. So I have a lot of experience in the marketing realm which has definitely helped us in terms of developing our strategy um, and just picking, you know, picking the brains of guys like you or other, or other SaaS marketers. I, I try to pick up as much as possible and it's, it's helped us shape our strategy. This isn't my first um, SaaS experience. Um, so I've, I've, I've had two other SaaS companies that I've launched one in this industry and one in a completely different industry. Safe to say the one in a completely different industry. I failed that. Uh, the first time I launched within this industry, um, it was successful, but it was a quickly, I learned a lot from it. Right. Um, in terms of the, the, our affiliates, I mean, I was, I was fortunate that we had previous relationships, uh, but most of it has come from just reaching out and talking to people, people that have groups of the type of customers I want to target. They're either, they're either going to be some kind of influencer or they offer some kind of, not a competitive product, but some kind of, um, you know, either service or product. Yeah. The go or service or, or or product that goes along that's congruent with it um, that we could team up and uh, you know offer something that's beneficial to the to the to the group. Very very cool. That's really all super insightful information. From a marketing standpoint, what is you know like your favorite thing about marketing? Uh, I'm a numbers guy, so I my background is of accounting and business finance, so like. My favorite part of marketing is once you have a channel dialed in and the this is why I don't, I, I'm saying this is kind of contradictory. Like I don't love the affiliate channel because I don't think it makes sense 
until yeah. um, so you're at a certain level and, and when you're scaling, right? Because it's it's an influx of numbers and it's not necessarily, it's ebbs and flows. It's not really a scalable uh, channel. It's one of the least scalable channels, but it, it does have the, the biggest push. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also can be the most expensive channel depending right. on how your affiliate payments are structured too. Um, my favorite thing though is dialing in our paid acquisition. If you can have a paid acquisition funnel that statistically makes sense, then it's just, it turns into fun and games in terms of manipulation of numbers and scaling and just trying to make it make sense. That's where it starts getting really fun on, for me personally on the marketing side. From a, when, when it comes down to creative, like what is your favorite thing about like the creative aspect of marketing? And I know, yes, and I'm asking that because I you, I don't want to touch it at all. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ask is because you mentioned that you were a numbers game. So yeah. like you like to see, you know, all the data, all the analytics, all the, essentially like you like to see the cash. That yeah. Just yeah. I want nothing to do with the creative. Like that is not, that is not me as a personality. That's not who I am. Right. Fortunately, we have people on our team, uh, other partners that I brought on that are more diverse in that area. Cause that's not me. Totally. Cool. Cool. Now kind of like switching over into a more, you know, personal questions of, of, you know, you being a business owner, growing a company, uh, putting a team together and stuff like that. If you could go back, you know, to when you first started the company or the earlier days, what is one thing that you would, you would tell yourself from like everything that you've learned so far? I've heard this in business. Um, so this isn't unique just to SaaS, but I think it especially rings true with SaaS. Everything's going to take twice as long and three times as expensive as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, True from our development timelines to uh, how, how much it's cost us to develop certain things. Um, so we thought we were pretty conservative, but everything took twice as long and twice as expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing was, you know, uh, there, there are certain things that have served me well in business and in SaaS, and that's, you know, quickly being able to pivot, innovate, and, and move on. I'm a, big, I'm a big believer in the lean startup. It's why I haven't taken funding. Um, it, it's, it's why we're self-funded and bootstrap. Um, and it's why we rolled out something that's only a small portion of what we're eventually going to be within the next, not only just two months, but the next year mm-hmm. um, is because we, we had to roll out this, you know, one section of our application because we need to get feedback on it before we overdevelop. Because right. overdeveloping is going to just cause nightmares on the back end, you know, long-term. Totally. Um, so I, I think that's another important lesson. And I think the other thing, it, the, probably the other lesson I've learned coming on the outside is like the amount of time, do not sacrifice the time to roll. Rolling things out quickly is important and being able to iterate, but don't sacrifice the time to really design it and lay it out and really think through how everything's going to fit with each other. Because the more features you have, the more different areas of your software you have, um, the more complicated it gets to roll out what might seem like a simple feature because now you got to think about how it connects with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we kind of learned that a little bit more on the hard side. Totally. That all makes sense. And, and really, you know, so, so what are your thoughts essentially? Because that kind of contradicts that, you know, I guess a, a common thing that is said around too, which is if you, I forgot how exactly it goes, but essentially you like don't launch too, too late. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah, I believe in that. Don't launch too late. So I, I know. So what I'm saying is don't, as an entrepreneur, you want to have everything dialed in before you take it to market, right? You, you want a full Ferrari 
that's just ready to go, plug and play, everything's good to go, and it's already done. The issue with that is how long it's going to take to develop, how expensive that's going to take to develop, and what happens when you roll all of that out and nobody wants it. You might think, like, I have experience in the, in the insurance industry. I can sit here and tell you what people think, but I can't, what's going to tell me what people think is what are they willing to pay for, right? And so if they're paying for something, then that's a different point than me asking them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of rolling out a Ferrari, what if I, what if I rolled out like just a V6 engine in like a, you know, <laughs> a, a Geo Metro, right? Like what if I started with a Geo Metro frame with like, you know, uh, some cloth seats that are all holy and stained with like a little, with a nice V6 engine. What if we started there, right? I might not be able to charge the Ferrari price point, but it's only going to cost me a couple grand to build that compared to a Ferrari. I can get to market quicker and now I can get feedback on this V6 engine. If that, if that analogy makes sense. So the thing is, is like, you know, we're building a CRM marketing automation platform. What goes into that contact management, pipeline management, emails, tasks, uh, text messages, uh, you know, eventually a VoIP system, landing pages. You know, there's a bunch of stuff you start stacking on, plus all the insurance integrations that we have to get into, which is a whole other side. But what if I just rolled out just a CRM to manage a contact, manage a pipeline, and you had some key, some really boilerplate campaigns that you couldn't customize too much but got the job done and made it super easy for you to run what if we started there and that's kind of where we started we're going to start with maybe 20 percent of our application right now we're going to start adding on to those features to make it better but now we're going to start stacking on our tech stack as we start to grow right and you mentioned a good point right there which is pricing um how did you come up with that were you surveying people since you already had like a handful of people that you could contact on what they would be willing to pay for a solution like that? Or, or did you just roll out a price and then start engaging the interest in, in, in you know, what it would actually take for somebody to pay for whatever you were putting out? Yeah, so, so two, two things. Uh, one was interviewing people and seeing what they're willing to pay for for certain things. Second is just market research, understanding for uh, similar products, competitive products, or uh, ancillary items, what are people paying for? And what I mean by ancillary items, what are those add-ons people are paying for that maybe we could help solve for? So if somebody's using like a CRM that doesn't have text, what are they play, paying for a, a add-on system that does allow them to pay text? What are they paying for maybe just a CRM that does the marketing automation, right? Well, they might be paying anywhere between $150 to $300. Right. And then that's for maybe a system that doesn't do text, which could be another $50. So what if we rolled out a system for around a couple hundred bucks, gave you a couple thousand contacts and a couple users that included text message, the marketing automation, and the pipeline now we're competitively priced our tech stack isn't too expensive um and we've got something that gets people started with right and and you almost had or i guess to me it seems like it would have been easy knowing you know what the background you had before because you were putting essentially these systems together without the actual application itself so you know the pricing point of everything put together and then depending on how you want to price it you could even you could go higher because you have the advantage of having it all in one place or you could go lower to make it kind of like a no-brainer deal. Right. And, and our, one of our big strategies here is like, hey, our product might only be here, right? But if our service is up here, people are going to stick longer with a company that has over-the-top service right. and, and a poor or a limited product versus people going to a great product with terrible service. At least that's been my experience and what my studies have shown me. So our product might be here, but our service is up here. What's going to happen is as our product starts catching up to our service, it'll eventually exceed it and we'll need less man hours for each customer. But in the meantime, we're going to provide over the top service, which serves us great 
in our marketing as we start creating our assets because we have amazing testimonials and case studies right now because right. we're hyper involved in each client we have. Awesome. Love the sound of that. Now, when it comes down to essentially like, you know, back to those more personal questions and, and actually before I ask this, how big is the team right now? Our total team is 10. Okay. Um, and that includes our development team, project manager slash QA, and then um, our CTO and any other partners or related staff that we have on support, onboarding, uh, sales, marketing, everything like that. What does it take to build a good team? Um, you, you know, part of it is, you know, it, it, it really depends on what role. Um, I built teams both obviously for this SaaS company, but also in my, in my previous companies. Um, you know, I think it's personality fits. Um, you know, making sure no matter what, if you can't fit on a personality, it's going to be challenging to work, make it work. Right. Um, like I'm an OCD over communicator, very organized person. If you can't be on time, like I'm a five minutes, er you know, <laughs> I'm five minutes early and I'm, I'm considering you late. Right. So like if you can't be on time, it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Right. So there's certain like making sure that from a personality and a communication style that we're on the same page and we can understand each other. I think the other thing is making sure that we have complementary um, uh, abilities and that we can complement it, especially on the early days, especially if you're talking about co-founders, right? Mm -hmm. So like I brought on a CTO because I need somebody that can make up for my limitations on the tech side. We brought on somebody else to help on sales and marketing because I can't handle all the marketing just by myself. Right. We brought on somebody just to help with support because I can't do it all myself. So being able to bring on complementary people that can help, you know, create a team for success, I think is a big thing. And bringing that team together is also another very important aspect. That last point, does that mean everybody's in house? It, it, it does mean right now, everybody's in house. Now, now we have, most of our team is in Arizona, but we do have people spread out throughout. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant actually. Not yeah. in house, but remote or, or. We all work remote. I mean, one of our guys actually, uh, we do, I do work out of downtown Chandler if I do happen to go into the office, but, um, um, we work out of a co-working space, but we do have, you know, one of our, one of our team members actually lives a couple miles up the road and we, we just do everything remote for the most part. Yeah. Um, that's the fortunate thing about zoom is, is zoom and slack is it, it keeps things pretty dialed in. Totally. Totally. Very cool. Now, another more personal question too. Earlier, you mentioned that, um, I think you said your wife, right? So obviously, you know, entrepreneurs, a lot of time in the work space, how do you manage uh, you know, like relationships, especially close ones, like what are the challenges there and, and how do you keep everyone happy? Yeah. Yeah. So fortunately my wife is also an entrepreneur. She runs a wedding photographer, biz photography business. So it makes it really understanding. I believe that as an entrepreneur, you can't be successful in business if your house isn't in order. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been part of too many masterminds and seen too many intelligent people fail at business because at home things aren't correct. So I think in order for you to be successful in business, you have to have your home life in order. Um, so I'm very passionate about like my quality time and where we need to, where I need to spend time with my, whether it's my wife or my family or, or, or personal relationships. I'm a, I keep things very organized. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 4:30 AM kind of person to get through my personal stuff through 7 AM. So that for me, that's working out, that's meditation, that's reading, that's prayer. And then from 7 AM to about 4 PM, to 5 p.m. depending on the day is basically dialed in work time for me. Right. Um, but from 5 p.m. till the till from 5 p.m. basically till 7 a.m. my phone is on basically night mode. You can't get a hold of me unless you're somebody 
that's an approved contact, uh-huh. I won't pick up the phone. Unless we book a, a, a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Uh, so that sounds like really it's, it's just a, a matter of discipline, right? Yeah. I, I intentionally leave my phone away. Like I'm not on it. Um, and that's done intentionally. Just, you know, spending time with whether it's my dogs, family, friends, my wife, like I've got to, you got to have a separation of church and state. Um, I think entrepreneurs struggle with that sometimes, especially in the startup, because it's, you know, it's kind of go, go, go. But if I can't mentally be dialed in, then I'm useless anyways. And part of that is I need my time away from the computer or work or whatever it is I'm I'm working on. Totally. Super, super important, I think. Um, Now, second question here, or not second question, I don't know why I said that, but uh, as far as software companies go, like, which ones do you look up to? Which ones do you think are just like crushing it and, and you know, you kind of studying and, and what they're doing in the market space and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, there, there's a lot of good ones, especially in Arizona. There's a lot of really cool programs um, with like Startup Grind and like uh, Startup AZ and a bunch of other programs. Like there's cool people I've been able to connect with. Uh, I'm an investor in another SaaS company in Arizona. Um, in the fitness space and that that's going really well. So it's happening here locally in Arizona. I, I, I don't know that there's one like that I specifically, you know, follow or, or say, you know, this is kind of what I look up to. I think everyone has their own story and their own definition of success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are in love with SaaS because they see the multiples that they sell for or acquire for. Right. Um, I don't know that everybody understands the amount of work or effort that it goes in to get to those levels right. and then be able to be in the right industry and have the right volume and the right timing to be able to achieve that goal, if that's your goal. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think what's most entertaining or the, or fun to watch is that um, how quickly you can get a startup SaaS company off the ground if you do it right. Um, I think what's also fun is watching people reach different struggles. Like for us, it was getting the product off the ground, then it was getting the profitability. Now it's getting to our next threshold and then the next threshold after that. You know, I've had a couple friends go from, hey, how do I get to 10K MRR? Now they're going to 50K MRR. Now the big push is to get to 100K MRR, yeah. right? Adding that extra zero to your MRR is a big deal. Um, and those are really cool thresholds that I'm getting to watch people kind of cross. And that's always fun to see. Totally. Super awesome. I see a couple of books back there. So I'm going to go ahead and ask, what's your favorite book? Man, it's uh, probably whatever I'm currently reading. Uh, and like, it's it's, 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 it's rang true. Like every book I'm currently reading, I try to read my goal going into this year was to read a book every two weeks. I failed to keep up with that, but I've done a lot better than years previous. Good. Currently I'm reading, uh, currently I'm reading Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I just started it. Um, and, um, I know this is a, probably a popular recommended book, but I, it's my favorite book that I have right now. Yeah. Uh, it's really whatever book that I, that I'm currently reading. I wasn't a big reader in my old days. I've read more books probably this year than I have in my the or in the last two years than I have in the rest of my life combined. Um, cool. It's been a big influence in like the amount of information I learned, how I how I think about things, and how I how I shape my life. Definitely, there's just there's so much to learn, uh, and the more you learn, I feel like the less you know almost right but I am a big believer that like I know nothing and so I I feel like I try to spend as much time possible reading and and researching and understanding what's what's out there in the world a hundred percent definitely and last question here well do you have any questions for me um no I I I mean 
I think that I love hopping on calls like this and uh, being able to talk through it. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's awesome what you're up to um, and, and excited to kind of dig in more and learn more about what you do and kind of the, the following you have and things like that. Awesome. Well, just stay along for the ride and, and uh, you'll kind of see like what I'm up to and stuff like that. So again, thanks so much, Will, for being on here. It was really awesome learning, you know, from specifically from a local, uh, what you're up to, what you've been able to do and how you're growing your company better agency. So thank you so much for being and uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, take care, man. Bye-bye.